Mikhail Zieger left Russia just three days after its president, Vladimir Putin, invaded Ukraine. Once you realize that your country has become fascist, you need to do something about it. You need to protest, you need to uh, try to change it, but you, you cannot obey those fascist laws. You cannot be the obedient citizen of a fascist regime. Obviously, I didn't want my daughter to go on living uh, in a fascist country, and I, I knew that I want uh, to take her out. Mikhail has spent the last 16 months reporting from Berlin, and that's where he was when his friends inside Russia began to text about tanks on the ground. Mm, the, the rebellion itself was, uh, was quite a surprise because uh, we did not expect him um, to be that emotional and unprepared. The him Mikhail is referring to is Yevgeny Prigozhin. Last fall was the first time when I started hearing from my sources that the puppet has become alive. That the person who has always been considered to be not even Putin's right-hand man, but uh, Putin's chef, uh, Putin's servant, somebody who is very dependent on his master, um, unexpectedly he has become an independent political figure. Prigozhin is, or at least he was, the leader of the Wagner Group a mercenary army of at least 25,000 people fighting on behalf of Russian President Vladimir Putin. As a paramilitary force, Wagner took care of Putin's dirty work abroad. Its special operations attracted international attention, and the group became a target for U.S. sanctions. For a long time, Prigozhin denied any involvement with the group. But this year, he changed his tune. It was obvious that, that he was not so close to President Putin since February, March. He was very politically active. He was touring as if uh, there was an electoral campaign right now in Russia. He was trying to get the attention. He was trying to get more money. Uh, and it, it was obvious that something was, uh, was going to happen. It had to happen. That something turned out to be a coup. Sort of. Yes, that, that, was, that was very um, surprising. Uh, not so surprising as the, the outcome of his coup. That's something that freaked out most of uh, experts. And uh, even my sources are really surprised by, by the end of the story. You know, I think that since that Saturday, there is another country. I think that there is Russia after Putin uh, that started while he's still alive. Today on the show, how an attempted coup that lasted less than two days may have irreparably altered the presidency of Vladimir Putin. I'm Mary C. Curtis, in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now that he's in the headlines, everyone knows him. But why don't you briefly remind folks, who is Yevgeny Prigozhin? Uh, he's a person with a criminal background, as many people uh, affiliated with Putin's inner circle. Putin and him, they, they first met back in the 90s when Putin worked as vice mayor of St. Petersburg. And St. Petersburg is one of the most important Russian ports, and most of uh, import that time came through the port of St. Petersburg. So you can imagine how important vice mayor Putin was for all Russian criminal groups. And uh, Prigozhin started as a very low-level businessman. First, he he was selling, literally, he was selling hot dogs. Uh, Then he started his um, catering business. He has several restaurants. But he he was very quick to learn the new skills. And uh, he volunteered to to start the the private military company. And he was in charge of... uh, Um, dealing with some delicate issues. Prigozhin went from being known as Putin's chef to being known as Putin's butcher. Those delicate issues? We're talking about secretive operations in Africa, in Syria, and eventually Ukraine. Prigozhin made international headlines for offering desperate prisoners a chance at freedom if they could survive the front lines. But even as he accumulated power, he didn't want anyone to know about it. Evgeny Prigozhin used to sue any journalist who called him the owner of Wagner Group. He rejected all those claims. He refused to admit that, that he had something to do to Wagner Group when um, uh, Wagner soldiers, Wagner mercenaries were fighting in Syria, in Africa. Everyone was writing about his adventures in Ukraine, but he, he, he was still suing journalists for calling him the owner of, of Wagner Group. And that all changed last summer with lack of, uh, of Russian volunteers willing to fight against U- Ukraine. Prigozhin, he offered Vladimir Putin to recruit prisoners. That, that was his idea as he had served eight years in prison back when he was young. So, so th- that, that was his idea, to recruit prisoners to serve as soldiers in, in Russian army. President Putin said, said yes. And last year, in July and August, uh, uh, Prigozhin started touring uh, around Russian prisons, uh, recruiting prisoners to fight. <laughs> That was the beginning of, of, of his fame and popularity. Well, now that Prigozhin has been elevated, how popular is he in Russia? Does he have a power base? What was his pitch to the Russian people and did they buy it? You know, it's, um, it's hard to estimate, actually, because, yes, we don't have any proper sociology. We don't have any surveys, so we can only guess. But at the same time, we see that he represents a very, a very important trend. He's, uh, he re- represents 
that ultra-fascist, that radical patriot in Russian politics, he's more radical than Putin in every field. He's more anti-Western, he's more pro-conservative values, he's more aggressive and brutal. He is the, the hero for those who consider Putin not strong enough, who want uh, Russia to win this war, who want uh, Ukraine to be conquered within three days, as, as Putin had promised them. And now they, they, they regret that Russian army is not uh, winning. They have to blame someone, and they are blaming the army and President Putin himself. So Prigozhin for them is the symbol of a stronger leader. So if Prigozhin was the, the president or if Prigozhin was commander-in-chief, they say Russia would have won the war. How do you think this attempted coup has affected his standing and his popularity there? Can you, do we even know? You know, it's, it's hard to guess. Russia doesn't have any proper political system. There were no open elections for many years. No one uh, was trying to, to be a politician, to run for, for, for any office, to campaign. So Prigozhin is something very new. Yes, Prigozhin's uprising might have done him much more popular, but the ending was very confusing. The ending, I think, uh, should be considered a betrayal by those radicals who wanted to see him as the, the strongest leader. His core base, I think, is frustrated that he let them down. They wanted him to go to Moscow and to take Moscow. Here's what happened. Late Friday night, Prigozhin released a string of audio recordings. In them, he called Russia's military leadership evil and said that those who destroyed tens of thousands of lives of Russian soldiers will be punished. Early Saturday morning, videos on social media showed tanks rolling across the streets of Rostov-on-Don, a city and military headquarters in the south. Hours later, Prigozhin said he'd taken control. By 10 a.m., Vladimir Putin delivered a televised address to the nation. What we are facing now is treason. And vowing to crush all Wagner fighters. By then, Prigozhin's troops were on the move. Convoys rolled north toward Moscow. Giant orange roadblocks sprang up outside the capital city. And then, suddenly, Saturday afternoon, about 124 miles outside of Moscow, they stopped. Why Prigozhin stood down is still a mystery. Russian Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov says President Alexander Lukashenko of Belarus managed to broker a deal, one where Prigozhin gets to flee to Belarus and his troops all get general amnesty. But Mikhail is skeptical. We know nothing about the deal. We know uh, only that explanation that was offered by Putin's press secretary, Dmitry Peskov. And it's very funny that a couple of months ago, Peskov himself uh, boasted that his son served as a mercenary in Wagner Group. So <laughs> he, even Peskov is in a way connected to, 
to Prigozhin, but that time, a couple of months ago, that was very prestigious. And uh, Prigozhin was, was considered to be the, the biggest ally of, of President Putin. Now everything has changed. Was the President Lukashenko, the President Belarus, the mediator of, of the uh, negotiations? Actually, there are a lot of doubts. Yes, we definitely know that uh, that Prigozhin, uh, he has left. Uh, and m- most of Wagner Group fighters have left Rostov as well. We don't know the whereabouts of, uh, of Prigozhin. Uh, Peskov said that he would live in Belarus. I'm, I'm more than sure that that's not true, because Belarus is the least safest place for him. Probably the most dangerous. If he if he goes there, he would be killed by Russian uh, FSB within a couple of hours. My sources say that probably the safest place for Prigozhin, if he had to flee, would be Africa, where his um, Wagner Group is still strong and has a lot of bases. And and we don't know if there is a real defeat or he's getting ready for the new step. We know that Prigozhin had a pretty substantial force under his command, 25,000 people. At least. Was that ever going to be a substantial threat to Putin? And now what happens? Do they go back to fighting Ukraine? Will people be able to trust them? What happens to them? You know, that's that, that's a good question. That's a good, a good question because one of the reasons for, for the rebellion, there is a new law that obliged all the members of uh, any kind of private military company to have an official contract with the Ministry of Defense. And that's why Prigozhin was so mad at Vladimir Putin and Ministry of Defense, because he could not officially pledge uh, to have any ties with the army if nothing happens. Uh, Prigozhin's people, all, all the fighters of Wagner Group, would have to sign contracts with the army uh, by the 1st of July. That's the deadline mentioned in the, in the new law. So Wagner Group has to be eliminated and all, all its active members has to, be, um, has to become the new ordinary soldiers in Russian army. And that might be the, the end of the, of the story, or at least one of the scenarios. But that, that would mean the defeat of Prigozhin. He had, when he had the negotiations on Saturday, he was trying to, to find some, uh, some other conditions uh, for his re- retreat. And maybe he will find a way uh, to save Wagner Group from being disbanded. Whether Wagner soldiers are fighting in Ukraine or no, some experts have claimed the attempted coup may be good for Ukraine, that Ukraine's forces should strike while Putin's distracted, and his circle is in disarray. Mikhail isn't convinced. Uh, you know, knowing Putin's strategy, he, the only thing he can do is to distract the attention. So uh, that's a bad news for Ukraine, but definitely he will need to distract the global attention from his humiliation. So I think that he will escalate. And um, I'm afraid that some some new disaster could be awaiting. Well, how about Prigozhin's future? Is Does he have one? 
I think the situation is changing so swiftly uh, that that probably if he if he hides in Africa for for a couple of weeks or a couple, a couple of months, probably the situation would change uh, uh, so dramatically that uh, uh, he would be able to re return back. Putin is not that strong as he used to be. Uh, he's losing his power, he's weakened. There is a possibility that, that Prigozhin would have the second chance. And that's a very scary scenario, I must say, because Prigozhin is a very scary figure uh, in Russian politics. After the break, what's next for Russians and for Russia's president? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. How are Russians making sense of the events of this weekend? Uh, are they still loyal to Putin? We don't know anything about if Russians are loyal to Putin. We have very strong suspicion. I have very strong suspicion that most Russians are not loyal to Putin and do not support this war. For many months, there were no volunteers willing to go to that war. That's why Prigozhin had to uh, recruit people from prisons. Ordinary people didn't support it. They didn't want to, uh, to go and fight. They did not believe in, in this war. Everything we see is that this is, uh, the Russian society is very depressed. They had very clear vision uh, of their prosperous future, and they lost it. And so, yes, probably there, there are people who buy that picture drawn by uh, Russian propaganda, that there is a war against the West and NATO was going to attack Russia. And that's why Putin had to fight against Ukraine. But most people do not believe. And obviously, most people uh, were really terrified that day, uh, June 24th, when uh, Wagner Group was marching towards Moscow. There was the new record of uh, airplane tickets sat in Russia because people were tr were trying to flee uh, and uh, by noon there were no tickets uh, to Istanbul, Tbilisi, Yerevan or any other uh, close destination or they they were like 10 times as expensive. I wonder in the short term this is arguably a big win for Putin. He shut down the most substantial challenge to his authority in years with no actual fighting. 
but he also failed to arrest Prigozhin. And at least in promises, he gave all of Prigozhin's troops amnesty as well. Does this mean he's losing power or at least being seen as weak? You know, he has made two terrible mistakes. And uh, these mistakes are only uh, his own mistakes. He has no one to blame for it. The first mistake was the uh, invasion of Ukraine. And he he had the information, um, he had a lot of information and he he should never started it because it was total miscalculation. And everyone blames him for uh, even those people who who support the, the war, even Prigozhin, who is the the most ardent fighter, but even Prigozhin says that actually uh, to start that war was a mistake because it was a miscalculation. And the second the second biggest mistake was his decision to bet on Prigozhin. Prigozhin's rebellion is his own disgrace, is Putin's disgrace. That Saturday, Putin made a special urgent address to the nation, and that was the first time ever when he... Uh, quickly reacted to some emergency. He realized that that he's losing uh, the initiative, that that he is not in control, and everyone blames him. And he's not he's not longer that moral authority as as he used to be. So he's he's panicking. Other authoritarian leaders have used coup attempts as an excuse to crack down. Do you worry that that's about to happen in Russia? Um, you know, actually, on the one hand, I think that the worst uh, has already happened. And uh, the beginning of the war against Ukraine was the worst, the worst scenario. Uh, at the same time, could it be worse? Yes, definitely. It could be so much worse. The day of Prigozhin's coup, the status of uh, counter-terroristic uh, operation was implemented in Russia. And so according to uh, to the law uh, about counter-terrorism, when there is a counter-terrorist operation uh, conducted in country, actually no human rights are relevant. So every phone conversation uh, could be listened to. Uh, authorities can block internet for any period of time. So we, we must expect that first they are going to block internet and they are preparing for it and the coup could be used as a pretext for for that uh, i'm afraid that um, all of my friends all of people i know uh, all the independent journalists or independently minded people who remain in russia are now in danger although they have nothing to do to that coup but uh, they could be used as, as, as scapegoats and they could be blamed for anything now. So Putin appears to have survived this challenge. But how could it change the power dynamics in Russia going forward, do you think, Mikhail? Mm, most important personalities from his inner circle are now thinking about what's going to happen next after his departure after his death uh, so they are already preparing themselves for russia after putin they are already uh, 
making alliances for the future power struggle. It reminds me a lot of uh, early um, 1958, uh, weeks after Stalin's death, when all those mediocre bureaucrats who were absolutely faceless and absolutely uh, silent started being very passionate and very active the moment he died. So um, I guess the, uh, the, the people from Putin's inner circle are preparing themselves for a fresh start. They know that there is going to be the right time to, to fight for the whole Russia. They know that the time has come. I want to thank you, Mikhail, for being a guest on What Next? Thank you. Mikhail Zegar is a Russian journalist and the author of the upcoming book, War and Punishment, Putin, Zelensky, and the Path to Russia's Invasion of Ukraine. That's the show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We're led by Alicia Montgomery, with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary C. Curtis. Find me on Twitter. I'm at mcurtisnc3. Thanks for listening. Mary Harris will be back tomorrow.